Hello, sports fans, and welcome to Let Me Speak, the show that shares sports' biggest headlines explained, uninterrupted, and maybe a little audacious. I'm Joe Braverman, and today's topics we'll be discussing are... Despite his incredible scoring streak coming to an end, should Steph Curry really be the favorite for NBA MVP? Plus, is the Eastern Conference wide open again with a slew of Nets injuries? And the mock draft for the top 10 in next week's NFL Draft. It's episode 21 of Let Me Speak, and it starts right now. Coming at you on Thursday, April 22nd, 2021, the 21st episode of Let Me Speak. Thank you all for tuning in as it's actually Earth Day today. Happy Earth Day. Uh, I know probably half of you didn't even know it was Earth Day until you woke up this morning and got an alert that said it was Earth Day. I know I was definitely one of them, but it's definitely something you, you don't pay attention to. Out here in Swampscott, Massachusetts, it's a little bit cold out there. The wind is blowing, so if you hear a little bit of outside noise, it's just a very, very breezy day out there, which is funny because it was 70 degrees about two days ago. And now, thanks to a line of thunderstorms last night, we won't be able to get above 50 degrees today. But while it's been cold here in Massachusetts, no one's been hotter than Stephen Curry from the Golden State Warriors, and that's how we're going to start the show, is talk about the incredible streak that Steph Curry has been on, despite the fact it ended last night against the Washington Wizards. And it is actually the subject of this week's Hot Takes. Now, the incredible run that Steph Curry is having, this is just some of the numbers. Scoring 30-plus points in 11 straight games, which is the longest for anyone who's 33 years or older since Kobe did it in 2012 and scored 10 straight with 30-plus. In the four of the last five games before last night, Steph Curry has hit at least 10 threes. During the streak, he shot nearly 50% from three-point range and 54% from the field entirely and just to put in perspective on the season he's shooting 43 percent from three and 49 percent from the field entirely and he's also got a league leading 31 and a half points per game now before i get into the real hot take part of it i think he with this streak he cemented himself as the greatest shooter of all time all time better than reggie miller Better than Ray Allen, I think he's put himself in that category. No one's got better shooting ability than Stephen Curry. Now, to get to the hot take part of this, I was kind of thinking a little bit that isn't really that impressive. Because when you have a guy like Steph Curry, who's an incredible shooter, it it really just gets you thinking. I know that it's 33, that he's 33 right now but if you talk to any shooters and I'm talking like pure shooters like the names I just mentioned like Ray Allen Reggie Miller even his dad Del Curry is that your stroke doesn't leave you no matter how old you get yeah your numbers might be a little off but your shooting streak doesn't really it doesn't really leave you you know that range that you have is not gonna leave you Absolutely not. And it's tough to say that it's not impressive because it definitely is. Don't get me wrong about that. Don't get me wrong that this is a very impressive streak. I'm just saying when you look at the counteractive part of it, if if this was Steph Curry and he just shot 10 plus threes every single time in – these 11 straight games, then I'd say, okay, it's not that impressive. But the fact is, he's putting up monster 
numbers from the field, finishing. I mean, the game against the Celtics and against the 76ers was absolutely unreal to see. Unreal to see. And there's no doubt about it that he's making an impact for the Warriors himself. I mean, the Warriors were 7-4 and four during the streak, and they beat teams like Milwaukee, Denver, and Philadelphia. But the other part of this hot take that you have to understand is that Steph Curry has to do this because he has no support around him. No support around him. And when you look at where the standings are in the NBA, yeah, Steph Curry can put up all these numbers, but this team isn't going to get anywhere higher than the seventh seed. Not going to get any higher than the seventh seed when you look at what they have around Curry. I mean, he's got no help. I mean, Kent Bazemore is your starting two guard. Draymond Green is not the same player he was. And you have no size down low after Kevon Looney because James Wiseman is out for the entire season. So they just have no support to help Steph Curry. And that's why I don't think that this streak is totally making a difference. You know, it's not like... I don't know. A good, a good example might be Jeremy Lin about nine years ago when he came and he had that hot run for the Knicks. He was making an impact because they were winning. They were winning and they were climbing in the standings. And that's what made it so impressive is that it was not only take away the story that, you know, he was undrafted and he came up from Harvard or something like that. Steph Curry isn't like that. The Knicks were winning. When Jeremy Lin had that. The Warriors are only 7-4. and four. And yeah, that's a good record. But you look at the standings. They're still 29-30. and 30. They're in ninth place right now. And like I said, I still think they're going to get the 7th seed. At the very most. At the very most. I don't think they're going to be able to catch Portland. At, even though they're only 4.5 games out. I don't think they're going to catch them. But... Really, the whole point of this conversation is because of what Steph Curry said last night. He thinks, without a doubt, he's the MVP. And I'm going to say, time out, Mr. Curry, because your team is one game under 500, the ninth seed in the playoffs, and you've only just started to be getting hot. You're only just now getting hot in the second half of the season second half of the season and you're telling me you're the mvp of the entire year okay let let's go through this game log you know take away the month of april take away the first the last game of march when he started the streak with 32 points i mean he doesn't have the consistent numbers he doesn't and his team is not winning that's the big thing with this and the reason why he shouldn't be an MVP is because his team is one game under 500. Yeah, they might make the postseason, but that's just because of the play-in. If it was the standard eight seeds as of this moment, Golden State would be out. They'd be out of the postseason conversation. I say, hell no, he should not be an MVP candidate because this is just like Bradley Beal. This is just like Russell Westbrook, and this is just like Damian Lillard. Their teams are not performing to their expectations, which is why they should not be considered for MVP. That is essentially the reason why. You know, maybe if Golden State were in that top five, then he would be an MVP. But the fact that he's saying he should be a three-time MVP, come on, Curry, are you kidding me? Maybe your team should play a little bit better. All right? But again... Going back to it, just like Bradley Beal, just like Russell Westbrook. I mean, the Wizards are 25 and 33, and no one's talking about Beal. No one's talking about Westbrook for MVP, even though they're putting up staggering numbers. You know, this kind of reminds me a couple years ago when Russell Westbrook won his MVP. People were saying that he shouldn't have won it because the Thunder were at the sixth seed. At the sixth seed. That's way better than being the ninth seed, one game under 500. This this is some of the reasons why I'm not the biggest fan of Stephen Curry. It's just he just seems so cocky. 
seem so cocky and arrogant like I know I'm the best and I should be the best but I mean it it's still an incredible run that he went on I will say that an incredible run he's saving the Warriors team because they don't have any pieces and imagine this Steph if Clay Thompson can come back to his regular self next season if he can come back because remember this is a torn this is a torn ACL and a torn meniscus. Don't forget that. Or no, it's an Achilles. Sorry, I apologize. It's a torn ACL and a torn Achilles. All right. And if Clay can come back to his normal self and Curry has this kind of run, if he can have it more consistently, then this is going to be a very dangerous Warriors team and everyone's got to watch out because the champs are coming back. The former three-time champs are coming back but for right now Steph Curry shouldn't even be in the consideration for MVP it should go Nikola Jokic Giannis Antetokounmpo and Joel Embiid those three have been performing well Steph Curry I maybe put at like five or six you know maybe you can talk about him in the conversation but he should not be the MVP and that is the ultimate hot take for this week it's a great streak an impressive streak But Steph Curry is not the NBA MVP. Now, in sticking with the NBA, the news was about last week in the Western Conference when we saw Jamal Murray tore his ACL, and we talked about where the Western Conference stands after that, where the Nuggets stand. So now this week we'll turn into the Eastern Conference because the big news is coming out of the Brooklyn Nets, and it just seems like they cannot get themselves healthy. Absolutely not. I mean, James Harden had an injury setback, so he's going to be out a little longer. Kevin Durant left a game earlier this week with a thigh contusion they're calling for it just after he came back from another injury and then of course we talked about LaMarcus Aldridge retiring so the Nets are kind of falling apart and it makes a lot of people wonder if they're still the favorites to come out of the Eastern Conference and you know I've been saying it for weeks and weeks and weeks every single time I talk about the Brooklyn Nets is that we have yet to see this team fully healthy come together. We haven't seen, we've only seen a handful of games, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and James Harden on the same floor. And then put on top of that signing Blake Griffin. Don't forget that. You know, we haven't seen this team fully healthy, so we can't say that they are the favorites yet. And we don't even know if, Kevin Durant, if this injury is going to be a long-term thing, we don't know if James Harden is going to be back in time. We don't know if Durant's going to be back in time. But I'll tell you this, that if those two are out, Kyrie Irving cannot lead this team. He's shown that he needs help, that he needs superstar help, and he's not going to be able to do it on his own. So I still don't think that the Nets are the favorite at this moment to come out of the East. I think they do have some good pieces from the last time I talked about them. I got to watch a little bit of their game. I was a little skeptical on Nicholas Claxton, their backup center, with uh, him and DeAndre Jordan, but I really do, I, I like him. I think he provides sort of that defensive help down low at the rim. But with with all the pieces that they have, I my confidence is a little bit better, but again, we haven't seen this team fully healthy what they can do and even defensively remember that out of all the playoff teams who are in the conversation right now of the 10 teams they have the they are tied for the second worst opponents points per game at 114 and a half okay so they're gonna have to get better with that but overall I think the Nets still are not the favorites I still think the 76ers are gonna come out as the number one seed sitting right now at 39 and 19 almost 40 and 18 because if Joel Embiid made that full court shot that would have been and I'll even say it I will that would have been the greatest game winning buzzer beater of all time sending up a prayer from three quarters court and it goes in that would have been the greatest 
game winner of all time. But overall, I still think Philadelphia, they have the right pieces surrounding Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris, and Ben Simmons. You know, we're talking about Seth Curry, Danny Green, Frickon Korsmas. Uh, they have the shooters around him. And then you just have a great complement of players like Dwight Howard and Matisse Thibel defensively. I think I think the Sixers have the best team right now, and I think they'll finish first. Looking at their schedule, Milwaukee, Atlanta, they've got to play them a couple times. I think those are really the toughest opponents that they have left. But... We we know Philadelphia can make the postseason. It's all about if they can perform. Because in order for them to go a long way, Joel Embiid is going to have to go nuts. Because remember, this was the consensus MVP before he got hurt. A lot of people were saying, this guy's your MVP. And when you watch him, he can dominate in the post, he can get himself to the foul line, and he can shoot threes. If he can be that dominant player come postseason time, then this is going to be a very dangerous Philadelphia team. You have to watch out for that no one's going to want to play in the playoffs. Because remember, since Joel Embiid has come to this team, and since Ben Simmons has started playing for this Philadelphia team, they haven't gotten past the semis. They have not gotten past the semis. So this is the year for them to get into the conference finals, and maybe even the NBA finals. We'll have to see what happens. But Joel Embiid, once it comes postseason time, has to take over the game. He's going to have to get about between like 25, 35, maybe more, something like that. But he just can't be, he can't be sitting around asking for his team to help him out. He's got to take over the game. And speaking of a player that takes over the game, Giannis. Giannis Antetokounmpo. I mean, everyone is forgetting about the Milwaukee Bucks simply because... In the past three years, this is the quote-unquote worst team that it's been in the last three years. Credit, they're sitting three and a half out of first place and are the number three seed right now at 35-22 and 22, just because it's been the quote-unquote worst year recently for Milwaukee. But everyone, they're just used to Antetokounmpo and the Bucks just playing great. So it's kind of like, oh, Giannis is doing great? Eh, just another day in the office. But... I think the one thing for Milwaukee right now, because I think at this moment they are in the top three solidified. I think, like I was talking about a couple weeks ago, Philadelphia, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, that's your top three in no particular order. But I think the one thing that could hurt Milwaukee is rim protection. I think that's going to be the big thing. Because, yeah, you got Giannis, you got Brooke Lopez, but really outside of them who else do you have to protect the rim if you have a guy like Joel Embiid those two are not going to be the ones to bail you out and to try and shut him down I think that's going to be the biggest thing for Milwaukee once they get to the postseason and not only that but Giannis has got to be able to similar to Joel Embiid he's got to be able to take over games because remember he basically disappeared in that Miami series last year credit game four and game five he had to leave he basically didn't play because of an injury but Giannis is he's got to show why he's the Greek freak he is in the same boat as Joel Embiid and he's got to take over these playoff games and yeah you got your complimentary players like Drew Holiday Chris Middleton Dante DiVincenzo all those guys but it's got to be all about you you're the two-time reigning MVP it's time you show it in the postseason and I think this is going to be big for Giannis, because the Eastern Conference is almost wide open, basically, at this moment. Because you have your top three, but then after that, it just gets so jumbled. I mean, you've got the Knicks, the Hawks, and the Celtics at four, five, and six right now. And the post-top three is where it really gets jumbled. I think, ultimately, a healthy Celtics team is the fourth best team in the Eastern Conference. But, man, the Knicks are making it extremely tough i mean they've won eight straight eight straight for a team from new york how about the knicks i think i i like the celtics to get to number four and then the knicks to get to number five essentially this healthy team and when you look at what the play-in situation looks at right now with miami at number seven charlotte at number eight 
Indiana number nine and Washington at number ten. I think Miami can leapfrog the Hawks. I, I really do because remember Trey Young last night, he left the game with the ankle injury. They said his x rays were negative, but just overall, Atlanta just hasn't seemed like a team, yeah, they've got all this talent, but yeah, they're thirty two and twenty seven, but they could be a little bit better. They could be a little bit better. I mean, there were talks at the trade deadline of moving their second best player and John Collins. Like, if you're a playoff team, you don't want to be able to do that. If you if you're going for the postseason, you don't shop your second best player despite the fact he's a restricted free agent. That's insane. So that's why I'm kind of skeptical on the Hawks. And why I think Miami has the best shot to leapfrog them and get themselves to the number six seed. Because look at the team that they have. They have a great mix of veteran presence and youth. Obviously, we know what this team did in the finals with Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero. But remember, they've got Victor Oladipo as well. If you've got him healthy and you've got a highly experienced Andre Iguodala, I totally think that this Miami team could go on another Cinderella run. They just have to get out of the play-in scenario, and I think they can do that, and I think they can leapfrog the Hawks. I think they can leapfrog Atlanta. They're only a half game behind the Celtics in sixth, one game behind the Hawks in fifth, and then a game and a half behind the Knicks in fourth. I, I think Miami can really pick up the slack and go on a big postseason run. And... When, now, moving on to the, the play-in, like I mentioned, 7 through 10, I think the, the biggest thing with that scenario is that Indiana at 27-31, ninth place right now, I think, I think they're going to find themselves on the outside looking in. I, I really do because, remember, they lost Miles Turner with that toe injury. So that's maybe your second or third best player on the team. And I don't know if the Pacers have the talent to be able to stick around in the postseason, especially Miles Turner. Remember, he's got an inside game. He can shoot the three as well. I think I think the Pacers might be might be eliminated, and I think they'll get leapfrogged by the Wizards. I, I initially said the Wizards, but they were uh, sitting in 11th before last night's win over Golden State, and it was Chicago who was in that playoff spot. I like Atlanta in the seventh spot. I like Charlotte. I like Chicago. And I like Washington. And I'll tell you why. Because I think in an offensive league like it is in this era, Bradley Beal, Russell Westbrook, they can carry the Wizards through a more favorable schedule. Because you also have Toronto. Don't forget Toronto at 25 and 34. They're a half game out of that 10th spot. But... You have to remember the Raptors' schedule. They got to travel out to the West Coast to play Denver, Utah, and both L.A. teams. That's not an easy schedule. Not an easy schedule at all. And for Charlotte, remember, LaMelo Ball is going to be returning. That makes that team a little bit better. I think it's going to help them, but they still might be a little small. I don't think a deep postseason run is in Charlotte's future right now. And then I like... I like Chicago to make the playoffs for the first time in four years just because they have a ton of great depth. They finally gave some help to Zach Levine. I know Levine has been out for because of protocols, but you have to remember what they did at the deadline. All the pieces they picked up, Nikola Vucevic, Daniel Tice. Then you have other weapons like Kobe White, Thaddeus Young, Patrick Williams. I like this Chicago team. I like them to get into the play-in this year. And maybe even next year, depending on what the offseason looks like, I think they could get themselves into that mid-pack, maybe that four through six spot in the Eastern Conference if they can put it all together. So that's really the biggest thing that I see in the Eastern Conference. And, you know, we've only got a few weeks left. And the East is so tight that anything, and I mean anything, could happen. Moving on to the NFL, and folks, before you know it, 
The NFL draft is going to be here. It's going to be next week. We finally get to find out, after all the offseason talk, what are these teams going to do with their draft plans. And we'll talk about the teams to watch for next week. But let's do, for this week, a quick top 10 mock. This is the closest you're going to get to a mock draft, by the way. Because there's no way that I could predict what's going to happen through all seven rounds. There's literally anything... Anything after, I'd say, like the second or the third round is really where you you can't make those predictions. You can say, these are the best available, but we're going through what exactly those teams are looking for. So we'll just do a quick top 10, especially here in the, I wanted to do a mock for the top 10 in the first round because there's just been so many, many news and noise going around that Really, there, there's more questions and answers regarding this top 10. I mean, the the top two we know are definitely locked and certain. You can be certain of that. You don't have to be a rocket science to find out that Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson are going to go number one and number two to Jacksonville and then to the Jets. But it's really once you get to that number three pick by the 49ers that gives you a, a, a couple of questions and, and really makes you think, what is going to happen with that? What is going to happen with that? And ultimately, from what I've been reading about, the 49ers, I think, are either going to go with with Mac Jones from Alabama or Justin Fields from Ohio State. And I kind of ultimately look at it like this. If the 49ers are looking for an immediate impact at the quarterback position, then you go with Mac Jones. You go with Mac Jones to really give Jimmy Garoppolo that edge on quarterback and and let you know, hey, if you don't perform well, we've got someone ready to take your place right away. Because Kyle Shanahan, from what I've read and what I've seen, is very keen to Mac Jones from Alabama. And I think Mac Jones, he's he could go anywhere from number three to number 11. That, that's been the biggest thing for for Mac Jones is that I, I think ultimately that's that's who the 49ers take. Because if you're talking with Justin Fields, if you want to give a little bit more time to develop, then you pick Justin Fields. I don't know exactly what the 49ers' plans are at the quarterback position. Because we know that Jimmy Garoppolo is still there. But do does San Francisco trust him? That's the thing. Do they trust him to continue to be that quarterback or do you bring in a younger guy to maybe give him that edge or essentially replace him if if he plays bad? Because the rumors have been swirling for about two years if they're going to trade Jimmy Garoppolo. And so far, San Francisco has not pulled the trigger. They have not pulled the trigger. So they basically are going to decide this year, is Jimmy G the man or is he not the man? But I ultimately think that the 49ers are going to take Mac Jones because they're looking for a win now. Because remember, this was a team that went to the Super Bowl a year before last. They went to the Super Bowl, and now they're the number three pick in the NFL draft. They had a sub-500 record, did not look like that same Super Bowl team. I know they had a lot of injuries, but the 49ers are... They saw the potential in that Super Bowl team, and they want to get back to that promised land. They want to get back to the promised land. Now, the fourth pick is going to go to the Atlanta Falcons, and there's been a lot of questions there about, are they going to draft Matt Ryan's replacement? I don't think you have to do that because the problem for Atlanta wasn't essentially the offense. It was their defense. I think Matt Ryan is still a capable quarterback. I think Julio Jones can still make an impact. You have the rising star, Calvin Ridley. And I think what Atlanta should do is make a big three-headed monster on offense and draft Kyle Pitts, the tight end from Florida. Because looking at his tape when he was with the Gators, this is essentially another, it could be another Rob Gronkowski or a Travis Kelsey where you've got the size and the catching ability and he can block. Don't forget that. Remember, Atlanta's got Todd Gurley at their running back. Remember how good he was for about a year or two. So he's he's no slouch, but Pitts is a great blocking tight end. Like I said, the next Gronk, 
the next Travis Kelsey. So that could be a steal for Atlanta. If you give a big three-headed monster right there, Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, and Kyle Pitts as your pass-catching options for Matt Ryan, that could be a very impressive offense to see Atlanta come out with. Now the fifth pick is with the Bengals, and I think this one is pretty pretty obvious that they need to get an O-lineman. An O-lineman has to be the number one priority because with a good O-line, Joe Burrow doesn't tear his ACL. With a good O-line, he's not on the ground half a dozen times every single game. That is a fact. That is a fact. And obviously part of it was the injury to Jonah Williams, their left tackle, but they need to give him Burrow, that is. They need to give him some help. They need to give him some help. And I think Panay Sewell from Oregon has to be your best option. When you pair him with Jonah Williams, I think that's some great protection for Burrow. And I'm not going to say it pushes the Bengals back over the top. Because remember, it's a very competitive AFC North when you have the improving Browns, the steady Ravens, the Steelers, and then you have the Bengals. I think they're still the fourth best team in that division fourth best team in a division of four by the way (laughs) but I I think the the Bengals they they need to give protection to what is essentially their franchise quarterback and that is Joe Burrow they need to protect him at all costs now when you get to the sixth pick that's where again it's a little bit tricky it's Miami making this pick uh, after the trade with the Eagles again still a little surprised that the Eagles are backing out of stuff like this but you have to look at what Miami has got right now. They've got Tua Tugavailoa. And what does he need? He needs weapons. And I think they're going with a wide receiver. And it, it's really it's really tough because I think the top three right now in no particular order in terms of wide receivers are Jamar Chase from LSU, Jalen Waddle from Alabama, and Devontae Smith from Alabama. Now, if it was me... And I saw Devontae Smith putting up all those numbers, putting up record numbers, and winning the Heisman. I would go with him right away. But I have heard a lot of hype about Jamar Chase. I have heard a lot of hype about Jamar Chase. And it's it's especially tough because you've got Tua coming out of Alabama. You pair him up with another Alabama wide receiver. That's instant chemistry right there. So I think if it was me... And if I was in that Miami front office, I would take Devontae Smith. I would take Smith, especially seeing all the numbers he put up. I would do it. I would go with Devontae Smith. I think Alabama, get that connection. That college connection is much more important than a lot of a lot of people think. So I, I would go with Devontae Smith. I would definitely go with Devontae Smith. Now, here's where it might get a little bit tricky. Because you have the seventh pick. With the Detroit Lions. And the Lions, I think they're going to go with the wide receiver. I think they're going to go Jamar Chase or uh, Jalen Waddle. But the question is, do they maybe trade down? Because you have to remember what's going on here. You have Carolina at number 8 and Denver at number 9. Does Denver wait? Because we know what they're going after. They might be going after a quarterback. They're going to be going after a quarterback and... It could be Trey Lance. It could be Trey Lance. Do they wait and take that chance and see Detroit? Do they stick with Jared Goff, or do they maybe try and draft the future? I think if all things stay steady at number seven and Detroit stays that way, I think they go after Jamar Chase. I think they give Jared Goff a little bit of help, and I think they go after another wide receiver. And a lot of hype has been made about Jamar Chase from LSU. So I think that's who Detroit is going to take. I think Carolina at number 8 after the Sam Darnold trade. We don't have to worry about them getting a quarterback. I think they're going to be fully committed to Sam Darnold at the quarterback position. And then you have Teddy Bridgewater as well as your backup. So maybe a Rayshon Slater at the left tackle spot helped Sam Darnold out with the blind side because that was another big thing when Darnold was on the Jets is that he had no protection at all. And then, like I said, for Denver at number nine, I think I think they go for a quarterback. I think they go for Trey Lance. I think that's going to be the biggest option for 
Denver right now. I mean, talking to a guy from North Dakota State, he's probably the biggest unknown, and I think it's kind of a low-risk thing for Denver because we didn't see a lot of him in 2020, obviously with the COVID-shortened season, but the numbers are that he's won every single start at North Dakota State. And it's a low risk because you already have Drew Locke. And Drew Locke, yeah, he's looked a little shaky, but you can see the improvements at that quarterback position every single year. So that's what I think Denver is going to go with. They're going to go for the low risk at Trey Lance. They either go Drew Locke or they go Trey Lance as their starting quarterback. I think it's going to be a big quarterback competition. And then finally at number 10. Number 10 is going to be very... Very interesting to watch because we have heard about the Patriots wanting to trade up and maybe get a quarterback, which essentially in this case would be Justin Fields. But you have the Cowboys at number 10. What are they going to do? Because we know they've got a great offense. We've heard a lot of links to Patrick Sertain the second out of Alabama, maybe J.C. Horn out of South Carolina. A lot of offense, uh, defensive options. Do they trade down and feel comfortable getting certain? I think ultimately they do. I think the Patriots find themselves somewhere in the 10th spot or the 11th spot. And I think they take Justin Field. That's what I'm expecting. The Patriots some way, somehow are going to get themselves into the top 10, whether it be the 10th pick or anything else. I think they get themselves into the top 10 They get Justin Fields, they give him time to develop behind Cam Newton, and the Patriots once again continue their aggressive offseason. But like I said, so much news and noise has been made in the NFL draft that any scenario could happen in next week's seven-round draft. we move on once again to our let's get local segment of the week a lot of news in the state of massachusetts in the city of boston and i actually read that historically boston teams do very well in the month of april we're talking celtics bruins and red sox that they do very well and i wanted to start with the red sox because by the time this episode airs Uh, The streak has come to an end. They're just coming off a loss to the Blue Jays. But still, they got the best record in the American League at 12-7. and At 12-7. And And I'm just still struck by the, the way this offense is performing. I mean, leading the league with a .285 batting average. 92 runs batted in, which is second in the majors, first in hits. I totally was not expecting it from this offense. Totally not expecting it. And what's funny is that it's not so much from the big guys that you're naming. Obviously, J.D. Martinez is having a great year. Xander Bogarts is having a great year. Vasquez is having a great year. Devers is having a great year. But like I talked about last week, it's the low-name guys, sort of the the discounted guys like Hunter Renfro, Marwin Gonzalez, Kike Hernandez, like the fact that these guys are putting up great numbers is, is so surprising to me. So surprising to me. And it's not so much that they're twelve and seven, I I had meant to say. It's it's not the fact that they're twelve and seven. It's the fact that they are totally exceeding these expectations. I never would have predicted them this early on to be at the top of the AL East and the Yankees to be at the bottom. Totally did not expect it. But just seeing guys like even Christian Arroyo all throw out there and Marwin Gonzalez and Alex Verdugo, seeing these guys put up great numbers is very, very surprising to me, I would say. But I'm still going to go on record and say that the offense can be great, but the pitching is still going to need a lot of help. I mean, Garrett Richards last night did not look good, gave up a ton of runs. I think Eduardo Rodriguez looked really good. Nathan Avaldi looks good. 
I just, there are only a handful of pitchers right now that are performing well, really, to me. And I would say it's Evaldi, Rodriguez, Matt Barnes, and Garrett Whitlock. I mean, Whit- just first off, Whitlock, phenomenal. I mean, he's pitched nine innings and hasn't given up a run. He's got an ERA of zero. Zero. That, that's ultimately the biggest thing for me is that this pitching is still going to have to catch up with itself. I think we're going to have to see some more consistency out of the starting rotation from Martin Perez, from Matt Andres, from Garrett Richards. They still need a lot of help. They're still going to need a lot of help in that. But, hey, 12-7, and seven, we will take it. If you're from Massachusetts, we're going to take that. I don't think that they're going to be able to keep up this run, but I think, like I said, I think this is going to be a good year. Even even if they don't make the playoffs, I think they're going to find themselves above 500 because already, so far, at 12-7, and seven, they're exceeding expectations. Now, a team that hasn't exceeded expectations has been the Celtics. And, again, they just cannot fight off the injury bug. They cannot fight it off at all. And that's gotten them all the way to the sixth spot. And it, it's kind of tough. Like I said uh, in the previous segment is that the Eastern Conference mid-pack is so jumbled that if you lose one game after winning six straight, you find yourselves from the fourth seed to the sixth seed, only a half game up on the seventh seed in Miami. But they've played well the past couple of weeks. They've won. They had that six-game winning streak. They won eight of their last nine before the loss to Chicago. But again, it all comes down to the health. And just looking at the roster, you could put together a starting lineup with the way the injury report looks like. I mean, Evan Fournier out because of protocols. Rob Williams out because of protocols. Jalen Brown's got an injury. Jason Tatum's got an injury. I mean, this team just cannot fight off the injury bug. But... I think the the biggest thing obviously has been their depth and the obviously the big signing of Jabari Parker. I say big signing relatively speaking because when it came out I totally did not expect it. I didn't I didn't even know Jabari Parker was open to sign anyway, but seeing what he has done for this Celtics team has been very surprising. Very surprising because he's not a guy where you're looking for big-time scoring outputs. Because remember, this was the number two pick in the NBA draft in 2014. This was a guy who was picked ahead of Joel Embiid, Aaron Gordon, and Marcus Smart, just to name a few guys. Just to name a few. And now he's your backup power forward, essentially. I think offensively, he gives you a great spark. I think defensively, there's still a couple of questions with that. If you're looking for some offense to give Jalen Brown some rest, to give Jason Tatum some rest, I think you bring in Jabari Parker if you're looking for an offensive spark. But when you look at it defensively, I like Tristan Thompson as the backup center. I even like Luke Cornett from time to time coming in. Obviously, it's going to be sort of a situational thing where we see Cornett come in. But I think this team's got great depth, finally. Because this, this was the problem that's been hindering them all, all season long. Is that they finally have some depth. They finally have some scoring options. They finally, even defensively, are starting to pick it up. You know, with the return of Romeo Langford, kind of a little bit of a spark. But I think I'm still holding off on championship expectations because I'm not going to go that far. I still don't think this team can compete with Philadelphia, with Milwaukee, with Brooklyn. But you can still root them on and have those have those feelings that you want them to perform well. But I'm not going to give them total expectations because we haven't seen this team at full health. I want to see what this team looks like when Robert Williams is your, is starting at center, when Evan Fournier is coming off the bench. I want to see this team fully healthy. And then, then I'll maybe make some expectations and make some predictions but it's not going to get easy tonight they've got phoenix who's second in the west right now again their schedule is a lot easier but this is probably one of the toughest tasks before the end of the year is hosting the phoenix suns tonight do i expect them to pick up a win 
Maybe. Just maybe. Just maybe. It, it really depends offensively. I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't be shocked with either result, essentially, depending also on what the availability is for the guys that I just mentioned who were on the injury report. But we'll have to see what the Celtics do in the next couple of weeks before the playoffs get underway. Hopefully they can get themselves to that number four seed because, like I said in the NBA segment, they are the fourth best team in the Eastern Conference when fully healthy. And speaking of a team that is fully healthy, the Bruins have been on fire. Fire since making those deadline deals for Taylor Hall, Curtis Lazar, and Mike Riley. I mean, they've won five straight games. And not only that, but they've been pretty pretty easy, decisive games. I mean, 6-3 over the Capitals, 4-1, 3-0 over the Islanders. They're going to be playing the Sabres again next couple of times. This Bruins team looks good. They look good, but again, it comes down to the postseason play. Can they keep up this stature when it comes time for the playoffs? Because right now, they're six points ahead of the Rangers, so like I said, they're pretty comfortable in that fourth spot. They're three points behind the Penguins. So I think I think what they did in the past couple of games against the Capitals and the Islanders, really showing themselves to be a threat, kind of imposing their will, on Washington and New York saying, hey, we're here and we're not going to be any kind of slouches, I think is ultimately huge for a team like this just to show, yeah, we're in fourth place, but we're still a team to be reckoned with. But can they keep can they keep it going once it gets to postseason time? That's a, that's essentially the question. And it's the it's the same thing with the Celtics that I just mentioned earlier. If we can see if we can see it in the postseason, then you can get pretty excited about a team like this. But with the rest of their schedule the way it looks, they're going to be playing in Buffalo the next two nights starting tonight, two games in Pittsburgh. Uh, Then they're going to be hosting Buffalo two times. They'll be in New Jersey for a back-to-back. Then they host the Rangers, followed by the Islanders, and they travel to the Capitals, to Washington, D.C. So it's going to be a really interesting stretch. If this team can get on a roll to finish out the regular season, if they can keep up this five-game winning streak that they've got going on, if they continue to play well, then you can get excited about a possible Stanley Cup. But we won't know until they play in the postseason. And for right now, we're just going to enjoy to see the success from all the Boston teams. Finally, as always, we move on to our LOL moment of the week, and this has been a sto- this has been a story that a lot of people have been talking about that happened over the weekend, and this award is actually going to both people, both athletes. One of them, one of them is kind of loosely an athlete that I'll say. So this week's LOL moment of the week goes to. Ben Askren and Jake Paul. Now, let me exact let me just break it down to you like this. Jake Paul is a YouTuber. A YouTuber. And he's trying to get into a career in boxing. He's trying to get into a boxing career. And last Saturday, he had a boxing match with former MMA star Ben Askren. Okay, Ben Askren is regarded as one of the best fighters in the world. I shouldn't even say fighter. Just he's an all-around great guy. All-around great guy. And he gets knocked out by Jake Paul. He gets knocked out by a YouTuber in a boxing match. A boxing match. And the LOL is essentially... The entire event that went down. Because this is all for the money. All for the money. I don't like Jake Paul going down to this route. Because he's going into boxing after being a YouTuber. 
people didn't like him even to start. But seeing him, you got to remember what's what's going down. He knocked out a retired NBA player in Nate Robinson. And then Ben Askren, who's not a boxer. He's asking guys who are not boxers, not fighters, to go out and have a sparring match. Basically to spar and to make me look good, essentially. And it's all for the money. It's all for the money. Because I guarantee you that Ben Askren, yeah, he got knocked out. But he's saying, hey, this will get people watching. As long as I get my cut, we're good. That's essentially what it is. Because it's trying to bring in all these followers for Jake Paul, no matter what age they are. Trying to get them into the sport. That's essentially what it is. And I, maybe maybe Jake Paul is a legitimate boxer. We don't know. But we have to see what it's like against a true boxer. Because we're seeing him, like we said, retired NBA guys, UFC guys who are trying to box. Get an actual boxer. Get like a Floyd Mayweather or a Manny Pacquiao. Then let's see what's happened. Because you'll probably get knocked out and... You'll be sitting the way Nate Robinson was turning into a meme. Because that is what Jake Paul is doing right now. You know, maybe he has a future in boxing. But maybe if we see him actually box some legitimate boxers. Instead of seeing MMA guys, UFC, retired NBA players try to come and fight him. Come on. Let's see a legitimate fight. Let's see a legitimate fight. That's the biggest thing for me. And then, not only that, but what about, like, last week? I was reading somewhere that his brother Logan was at the uh, the WrestleMania, the WWE event. And just watching the video of, I forget who the other guy was, but he took the, the stunner, infamously made famous by Stone Cold Steve Austin, and he does, like, a corkscrew or something like that. When I saw guys take the stunner when Stone Cold did it, they would go down and fall on their back. They wouldn't do twisting flips and all that. So I don't know what the Pauls are trying to do in getting into the world of sports and I guess sports entertainment if we're talking the WWE or something like that. But that that fight was kind of a joke. And that's why Jake Paul and Ben Askren makes this week LOL moment of the week. So that will do it for this edition of Let Me Speak. Thank you very much for watching and for listening. Make sure you're dropping those likes, those comments, and make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just search Let Me Speak Podcast. And remember, as always, if you've got a point you got to get across, just tell the whole world, shut up and let me speak.